welcome to Minute 86 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we take a wild trip through the 1987 John Hughes comedy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today on this lovely Sunday, which most of you are not used to actually hearing me on a Sunday, but here you go. You get it this Sunday, and next Sunday you'll also get one. But we'll, I'll talk about that a little later. So joining me today is Jeanette Ward of The Mundane Adventures of a Fangirl. Welcome to the show, Jeanette. Hello, thank you for having me. What a treat to be here on a Sunday. Yes, 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 yes. This last, the last Sunday of June, you know, a lot of fun. <laughs> so <It's the> weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially, you know, we, we said Dell and Neil about to, you know, go into the warm house. So I guess that works well, mm-hmm. too. You know, going from the the cold, the the fictional cold, co- the fictional cold of this alternate universe where there actually was snow on Thanksgiving in 1987, um, into a warm and toasty house, I guess. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we we assume. So, minute 86 begins with Dell and Neil approaching the house and ends with Susan smiling. Okay, so we ended things. On uh, Friday, where basically Neil finally figured out what's going on with Dell, he went back, picked up Dell, and decided to bring him home with him. You know, like a little lost puppy or something like that. And brings him to his house, and we see them walking down the street. And the minute ended on Friday as they were just about to get into the house. And today we continue that, and we see them start walking up the steps to the house. Both carrying the trunk, as they Both. have in the majority yes. of the movie. Yes, <laughs> yes, but but that's still fun, you know. Yes, I mean you 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 weren't here to hear it last week, but we we actually discussed what is in the trunk. You know, I you assumed, what's in the trunk. Um, I assumed it was shower curtain rings, just piles and piles of shower curtain rings in various colors and sizes and shapes. That's my assumption. Because he has a separate bag that seems to have clothes and, you know, assorted sundries in it. So my assumption is that the trunk is exclusively shower curtain rings. And according to John Hughes' script, you would be very, very wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I also, for, for a while, because as you know, and maybe no one else knows, this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. Well, how would anyone else know that until you tell them that? (laughs) <laughs> so this is the first time I've seen this movie. I watched it uh, last night so that it was fresh and I was ready to talk about it. I, I have not purposefully avoided it. I I know it's a lot of people's one of their it's on the list of favorite holiday movies, etc. I, I just it never was really in my, you know, I would see bits of it on TV and was like, no, this I'm not really interested in watching the rest of this. I think you have to be a a fan of either of the two main leads or, you know, really a huge John Hughes fan. And I think my John Hughes fanship is a little bit, this is a little bit different than some of his other stuff. I like a lot of the high school movies (laughs) that kind of hit my sweet spot because I was in high school at the time. Um, And this one was just not, not on my radar, not something I had seen, not one I watch every holiday season. So it, it was, it was fun to watch it. I, I can say I don't think my opinion has changed. It's not on my list of holiday movies. <laughs> Maybe not not one of my favorites. I can see why people enjoy it. I'm really happy with the minutes I got because I feel like I got the redemption and the sweetness at the end. There's a lot of um, – and I think it was kind of typical of 80s comedies. 
of there's it can get really mean. There's a lot of mean moments yes. in this, but that's typical of the time and it, and it feels necessary for the sweet redemption at the end. I will say um, this is where I started this sentence, which it, admittedly is already way too long. Um, <laughs> we're not we're not I checking punctuation. Right don't worry. Start, like, oh, OK, good. Uh, I, I immediately guessed. Oh, his wife is dead or or he's going through a divorce. He has no wife. That's why he's out traveling. Del, Del's character. Um, so I did have a moment where I thought, dear Lord, her body's not in that trunk, is it? Maybe her ashes or something like that. I thought, okay, it was, I, it's it's all shower curtain rings, but but maybe maybe there's a like an urn with some ashes in it too, and he's he's traveling with his wife. Air quotes. Interesting. <laughs> No one, no one has. I, I think maybe towards the beginning we discussed that, that, that uh, you know, that maybe there was, there's a body in there or something like that. Maybe, maybe I discussed it with Jay in the first episode or something like that. I don't, I don't even remember when. It, it would, it would make sense. But, but if it wasn't Jay, I apologize felt, to whichever guest it was that we discussed this. You know, <laughs> it, it felt very obvious to me that he, he was alone. Uh, because his wife was either dead or had left him, and, and dead seemed to be more likely based on a lot of his. And I, I think, and I'm sure you've covered this, but my goodness, would this movie have worked with anyone who wasn't John Candy in that role? I don't think it would have. I think that he was uniquely talented in playing the lovable goofball, but also having some genuine, touching uh, sincerity yes, underneath it. And and I think that really plays. The reason why I felt very confident saying, well, his wife's obviously dead is because of the layers to his performance in what could be at, at the surface, very, very single note character. His performance manages to give it layers throughout. And I think that is part of the reason when I say some of it felt really mean. Anytime Neil is mean to him, the the facial expressions you get from John Candy make you feel like, oh, God, my heart. Yeah. <laughs> like, Yes. Dell is a—he's a pain in the ass, and he's—he's he's too much, and he's all over the place. And my God, he's messy. And and, but at no point do you hate him, right? Right. He, he stays this kind of awe dude the whole way through, even when he's very, 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 very annoying. Yes. Now, first of all, I mean, you—you. You... When when you listen to all of the episodes that 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 I've recorded already, so then you'll get to hear everything that happened in the original script. How this movie is ninety three minutes long, the final cut. How long do you think the original cut was? I I read it was three hours. It was three hours and forty five minutes. That's entirely too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently I, John Hughes felt like, that too. And and every movie should be two hours. Period. <laughs> okay, and and last week with my guest Travis, we figured out that basically. They cut out Die Hard from this movie because it was 132 minutes that they cut out. <laughs> I I found it interesting, like going back and and reading some of the bits about it. One of the things they cut out was a whole explanation of the fact that Michael McKean's police officer is a Wisconsin state trooper, and they overshot Chicago. Yes, as part Very of, good. and then he had to turn around and come back. I man, it, yes, they made it all to Akanamawak. You you're a Wisconsin. They made it all the yes. way to Akanamawak. Did I get that right? Akanamawak. I, 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 I'm not able to pronounce that. That's I, about an hour, <laughs> hour and a half north of me, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so you see, they, they drove by your house. Yes, they must have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't imagine overshooting Chicago by that much. 
I would have been yeah. curious. I mean, that, that's one of the ones. Another one we'll, we'll actually talk about uh, in tomorrow. Tomorrow's episode, we'll talk a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll see if you caught on to another subplot that they cut out. But but think about it. They cut out over two hours of this movie. That That's just of, of what they filmed. I'm not even talking I, about I that it's imagine. in a, a script and whatever. Because essentially this is a movie, of, really, in, and it's a nothing movie. I mean, it's a movie about a road trip because a guy's flight gets canceled, which anyone who lives anywhere in the Midwest is very familiar with that. Oh my God. The number of flights I've had canceled, delayed, etc. winter storms, you can't do anything about them. Um, but to pull together a, a, a fun and charming, got to get home for the holiday story about a flight being delayed in essentially taking the odd couple on the road. It works great for the, what hour and 33 minutes this movie is Yes. I, I, any longer than that. No. Right. No. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of little scenes that show Dell as being even more annoying, which that's which is why I'm glad they cut it out. You know, it. They cut out a yeah. lot of dialogue. Some it was some of it's fun dialogue. There's no question about that. I mean, anyone who's listening to this, if you really want, you can find online the the original script and you can read it. it it's it's a lot of fun, especially if you know the characters, because you can hear the characters saying the various lines and stuff like that. But most, I, I would say, ninety percent of what they cut. They were right for cutting. There's a few things here and there yeah. that they probably should have kept in, but even with that, it, it's fine. You know, so I, I'll just fill you in a little bit. What what is in the the trunk according to the script? Right, there's a lamp, oh, yes. some sheets, towels, pictures, a couple pans, fragile things wrapped in newspaper. Um, obviously, we know he has a pillow in there, and he also has pillow, a yeah. picture of Marie. Okay, so th- that's basically what yeah. he has. It doesn't mention in the script anything about shower curtain rings. So maybe the shower curtain rings are in his suitcase. In the other yeah. bag. Yeah. It, with, that's interesting because he says, I don't have a home. Right. So, and I couldn't figure out if that was figurative or literal and that he was living out of that trunk and that's why everything is in the trunk. Or if he, she was his home and without her, he doesn't have a place he considers to it's, be permanent. It's a combination of both. So I couldn't the, figure the, out. The script mentions both okay, of those okay. as reasons. You know, that once she no longer okay. was, was around, he didn't feel the reason to 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 want to stay there, you know, in their home. And so he sold sold the house. Which also is correct is makes it even more interesting. Why would he travel back to Chicago for Thanksgiving? You yeah. Know, because he, what's he in Thanksgiving? Going... What, what's in Chicago? Right. Yeah. Why is that the, the destination? Yeah. No idea. No idea. Okay. So let's start right. talking about this minute. So okay. <laughs> as they're standing outside the, 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 the house. So Dell looks at this house, which is obviously a very beautiful house on the, on the, on the outside, no question about that. Kind of a stereotypical John Hughes Chicago yes. suburb house. Yes. On on Friday, we actually I, I mentioned the the exact address of where that's located, and that it was sold in 2012. And for the I don't remember the amount of of how much it was sold for, but uh, you know it was sold, and they had a picture in the ad when they were trying to sell it of the characters of Neil and Dell standing outside of it. You know, I guess the you can use that to try to, to sell things. <laughs> to Why sell not? the house. Why not? Sure. So they, they start trying to climb. They start climbing up the steps. And it's funny because you see that Neil is, is having trouble with the trunk. You know, maybe it's too heavy. Maybe it does have a body, as you said. You know, you, you never know. There's, <laughs> there's possible. And 
Then Del says to Neil, oh boy, you are one lucky guy, Neil. And he says, I know. And then Del says, look, I won't stay longer or anything. Maybe I'll just come in and say hi. And, you know, do, do, do you think that's that's what he really ma- meant? It's from about the halfway point on, Dell is well aware that Neil is annoyed with him and tries from time to time to extradite himself from the situation. He doesn't want to be super annoying. He just can't. Right, help but it. he also knows at and this so point they're trying. now friends. I mean, they, they hugged. Yes. They hugged when, when they departed, yes. uh, you know, all those 20 times last week. You know. So I think he's he's probably internally, this is just a guess, super excited to have this opportunity to, to spend Thanksgiving with a family in a home of his new friend uh, and doesn't want to risk doing anything to lose that opportunity. And so he's just polite in the hopes that Neil will be like, no, of course, come on. Yeah. In. Well, he knows that he's coming. Into I, the house. I love this, the sweetness of the statement. Boy, you're a lucky guy. You are one lucky guy, Neil. It's such a sweet and kind statement. And it really, because Neil throughout the course of the, I mean, and no one plays smarmy, smartass like uh, like Steve Martin. It, it just, he can really come off as aloof and um, full of himself in, in, a, in a not arrogant way, but in a just like, well, I know what I have kind of way. And so I think that this line of him, uh, when... Del says, you're a lucky guy, Neil. His acknowledgement, yes, I, I know. It, it's a little bit of redemption for that character who has gotten progressively <laughs> more uh, aggressive over the course of the movie. So we, so him acknowledging, like, you know what? No, I know. it is an arc. I mean, he get, get he gets really aggressive and then he calms down. Yeah. You know, he, he does get grounded afterwards. So it, it is like a bell arc. Because it would be very easy to have this, this story, this movie, be... Uh, only about the hijinks and have no character development, no character arc. And so these two lines, boy, you're one lucky guy. Yes, I know. That kind of puts the bow on the arc of both characters and their relationship. Yeah, completely. Now, I I, I like the fact that we can see that the the walkway is shoveled really nicely and the sidewalk (laughs) also and stuff like that. Who who do you think shoveled it for them? Not either of the kids. Those kids are youth. (laughs) Well, there's three kids. Well, there's three kids. And, oh, the, well, one of them's a baby, though, right? So yes, yes. Uh, not Matthew Lawrence, I do, because I can't, for the longest time I was like, why do I know that kid? Who's who's? Oh yeah, Matthew Lawrence. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then so I'm going to assume it's a neighbor child, uh, who who charged them like five bucks to do it. Okay, that, that that's fair. You see, like I I grew up in in Michigan, as you know, and you know, just like in Wisconsin, we get a lot of snow there, and my parents. At, when, when we were younger, my parents wanted us to shovel it, and then my parents realized that it's just easier to to pay, you know, someone who has a, a a little truck, you know, to clear the the driveway and clear off, and you know, have a guy get out with a shovel. So I'm assuming they're paying someone to do it here, because you know, <laughs> look at, look at that house. They're not doing anything for themselves. They're paying people to do stuff. <laughs> right. No, you see, you see Susan, you know, making making food for the kids, you know, and also. Oh, yeah, Right. Also, he's dreaming. He dreamed last week, you know, that she's making the turkey. Maybe that's just a dream. Maybe oh, you know I they have. <laughs> maybe they have a. Um, yes. Yes. You know. <laughs> maybe maybe they have like a, a you know, a live-in who <laughs> we don't get to see. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and and the live-in is the one who's actually doing all the cooking. Who knows? <laughs> Could be and shoveling. 
Yeah, I, that's true. They go no, they, they they get another one. They get the gardener and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, they're they're two adults and three kids was, in this humongous there was house. The opportunity, like we've already established, okay, they they've put the button on it. This is the nice wrap up, and now we're into the very sweet uh, summary and resolution of everything. But they, they the opportunity was there for one more slapstick moment of one of them sliding on the ice on the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, but I, I'm I'm glad they didn't do it. I, I th- it would have been a nice opportunity, but I think it, it works well that they didn't do it. Absolutely. So then uh, Del says, uh, and, and then I'll be on my way, all right? And then Neil goes, oh, come so on, where... just, just come on. What were you saying? Where? Yeah, to where? He's, oh, I'll, then I'll be on my way. But to where? We, we've established you don't To another have... motel? You know. Yes. And he does, I mean, throughout the course of the movie, he knows someone everywhere. Like, he, he is an excellent salesman, great at his job, really connects with a lot of people, knows someone everywhere. So, you know, he says he'd be on his way probably to another hotel, but to someone else that he knows, an acquaintance, a business partner, a friend. Right. I mean, I'm assuming that, that most of his expenses are paid, you know, because probably. of the fact that he's, you know, he's a salesman. So I don't think he needs to worry about it from that perspective. Yeah. You know, that, that, that he's, you know, the fact that he doesn't have any money. I mean, they don't have money. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I, you know, I brought that up last week about how did they get on the train, or, you know, if or the subway, if they didn't have any money. Yeah. And no credit cards because those are burned and melted and, and all their cash is gone. And yeah. they, I don't know. Yeah. In and then sense. exactly. And then we get a shot from inside the house and we see the, the door from the inside and then we hear the doorbell ring, which, now, do you ring the doorbell when you go home? <laughs> this is an excellent question, right? Because I think it comes down to he doesn't have keys. The keys are gone, right? He, he Maybe he had keys, but they are gone along with the money, the credit cards, and but, but not the money that bought some. Listen. <laughs> no, but, but his daughter doesn't unlock the door. She just opens it from what I can tell. Yeah, the, the door is not locked. She just opens it. So they were they expecting him? He's yeah, been she in just constant opens it. contact with <laughs> his wife and letting her know where he's at, what's happening, what what state of affairs he's in. Yeah. So they, surely they're expecting him. And I, there's a lot of windows. They saw him walking up. So they, you know, they open it. But yeah, you ring the doorbell to let him know you're there. I, <laughs> I do not ring the doorbell when I go over to my parents' house. I just walk in. Um, but usually they are expecting me and the door is unlocked. <laughs> Right. Okay. All right. Do you have a key to your parents' house? I do. I still have keys right. to my parents' house. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No. So I have, I have keys to my mother's house and the same thing. You know, I'll go there and I just open the door. I don't want to wait for her to have to, you know, hear the bell and try to have to come, you know, make Absolutely. it easier for her and yeah. stuff like that. And obviously when I come to my house, I don't ring the bell. <laughs> I don't, you know? but maybe I should start. Maybe that'd be a fun habit to develop for no reason. I think my wife would kill me if I start doing that. She'd be like, why are you ringing the bell? Just open the door. I don't know. And so then we, we see that Marty, uh, you know, Neil's daughter opens the door. And then we, we see it's it's a great shot being able to see the door open. And then we see Neil and Della sitting or standing outside, right outside the, the doorway. And mm-hmm. Dell is actually holding his hat in his hand. Yes. Okay. He has, he has taken off his hat along the way. He's approaching you know, we, this, we, we actually house. we actually see him we actually see him take it off right before they open door okay from when they're outside so I, I decided I was gonna actually look up about you know what when do people take hats off 
You know, like what's what's proper hat etiquette? Do you, have, do you have any idea? You're supposed to always take it off when you go in a house, right? Yeah, well, there's there's I I found a lot of stuff, and it was I was so surprised. I didn't think it would be something. So I mean, I found an article that basically said that that you know hats are no longer an essential article of clothing, but they once were. And both men and women used to used to wear hats all the time, and it's important to know when to, to, you're supposed to take your hat off, and and you know for what type of occasion and stuff like that. So part of the thing is, and this goes all the way back to one of the first episodes during the first week with with Jay when we were talking about the whole idea of saluting. So part of the idea of saluting is also that you take off your hat. Okay, so medieval knights would either take off their helmet or lift their visor in order to identify themselves. And if they didn't, then, mm-hmm. you know, someone might kill them. So that that's where the original idea of, of, of taking a hat off came from. Okay, then uh, a lot of times different types of hats can talk about social standings or uh, sometimes it's a gesture of respect if you take off your hat. Right, there were... In if you look at it from a religious perspective, so in Christian churches, it, it was always known that men took off their hats when they would walk into the churches. I mean, me being Jewish, the idea is the opposite, that you actually put a hat on or you have some sort of head covering when, you, when you're in some sort of sanctuary. And so at, in the old days, besides that, people would also, you know, when you go to someone's house, you take off your hat when you're greeting your boss or when you're in the presence of a lady. And according to this article, ladies are ex- entirely exempt from any hat rules. They can wear them whenever <laughs> they want and take them off or take put them on whatever they want. Didn't make a difference. Yeah, I like it. I and like then it. I found a list of of different types of of hat etiquette of when you can leave your hat on. You can leave your hat on if you're outdoors, if you're at some sort of athletic event, if you're on public transportation, if you're in public buildings, for instance, the post office, airport, hotel. Or some sort of lobby. If you're in an elevator, museum, museum. It's in there too. If you're on an elevator, you can keep your hat on, and you should take your hat off, including if you're wearing a baseball hat. Okay. If you're in someone's house, if you're at the table during mealtime, when you're being introduced mm-hmm. to, to to people, whether it's indoors or outdoors, you should be taking your hat off, unless it's completely cold, and then you're allowed to. If you're in a house of worship, as we discussed earlier, unless a hat or head covering is required in that house of worship. Um, if you're indoors at work, you're supposed to take off your hat, especially if you're in an office. And it says that that there are many offices that require people to, to take off their hats, which I don't know if that works these days, but whatever. Um, if you're in a restaurant or a coffee shop, if you're at a movie or if you're at some sort of performance, you're supposed to take your hat off when you hear the national anthem which obviously we know about that. And mm-hmm. whenever the uh, flag of the U S flag passes by, if you're in a parade or anything like that. So then it, it has a list of times when women can leave their hats on without a problem. Right. So it says uh, in someone's home at luncheons, weddings, garden parties, at religious services at a movie or a performance. Horse, horse races. races. There you go. Move your blimey ass. Right. Yes. Church. In, uh, again, church national anthem. Women don't take off their hats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if a flag goes by in a parade, you they also don't. Okay. And then it has 
a, a little note here that if you're wearing a fashion hat, you should take it off if you're blocking someone's view. Yes. If you're in the theater or if you're at a wedding or something like oh. that. But I think most people wouldn't really think about who's behind them if they can't see. They're just more concerned to the person in front of them. <laughs> well, I can't help but think about the um, fascinators that are worn to, is it the Kentucky Derby? Any horse race, which, why are we still horse racing? But... Uh, I feel like they are part of the event, and and yes, most of them are so large right. that whoever's behind you can't see anything. But but they also have to be strategically attached right. to your head so they That's don't true. fall off. So I, I I thought that was just a fun list to to, to quickly go through. Um yeah yeah hat rules. <laughs> and then Neil says to his daughter, "Hey hey kiddo," and she screams, "Daddy!" You know, running to him, and then we have this this uh, a, a few seconds of or thirty almost thirty seconds of introductions. General yeah. greetings, general he greetings goes. of the extended family that we haven't yes. seen up. To Hello, Neil's home, Del Griffith. I want you to meet my father-in-law Walt, my mother-in-law Peg, my mother Joy. Hi, my dad Martin. Pleasure to see you. Welcome, Del. The big guys, Neil Jr., my little gems, Marty. And somewhere around here is my little baby boy, Seth. So he just quickly introduces everybody, you know, throughout the whole thing. And so I just quickly want to mention the the, the four actors that, that, that are in this scene that are not in anywhere else in the movie. They are, they all right. appear uh, much more extensively in the original script. They they all they all have oh, a sure, lot the, more the scenes, <laughs> but not here. <laughs> and I mean, what's interesting is is that you know when you, when you look at the credits, and we'll probably talk about this later in the week when we get to the credits themselves. But I mean, the the the, the guy who plays Susan's father, okay, who's Richard Hurd, is like. 10th or 11th down down the line or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's 12th. Mm-hmm. Sorry, he's 12th down the line. Okay. And he's a, a pretty well-known actor, Richard Hurd. You know, I, I recognize him. I What was funny is, is that I saw him in the credits here and I kept thinking to myself, where was he in the movie? I don't remember him. <laughs> and then I finally figured it out. So uh, Richard Hurd was an actor who was born in 1932, passed away in 2020 at the age of 87 from cancer. He has 112 TV credits. He was on four episodes of of Star Trek Voyager. He was in 11 episodes of Seinfeld. He played Wilhelm, uh, George Boss. He was in two episodes of Quantum Leap, which uh, is a show that I always loved. He played, in one of them, he played a guy who believes that he built a time machine that he can go back in time and make changes. His name was Mostein which was based on the the character of Doc Brown in some ways. So Let was... me tell you where I recognized him from. Long kiss, good night. He's the annoying drunk guy that she has to drive home the night she hits a deer and starts to slip back into her other personality. Right. Okay. That's good. There you go. And then he was also in 36 episodes of TJ Hooker. He actually played, yes. uh, uh, I think, the captain. And then... Any other one. Yeah, and then he has 36 movie credits, which isn't very much if you have 112 TV credits. He was mostly a character actor on TV, but you know he was he was a very prolific actor. 
And one of his final roles was actually in the Clint Eastwood movie, The Mule, which came out in 2018. He had a, a short little role in there also. So that, that, that's the, the guy who plays uh, Neil's father-in-law. Neil's mother-in-law is played by an actress named Diana Douglas, who was born in 1923 and passed away in 2015 at the age of 92, also of cancer. She has uh, 65 TV credits, including she was on 17 episodes of The Paper Chase in the 80s, which I remember was a Showtime show. And then she also has uh, 16 movie credits. Okay, then we have the man who plays Neil's father. His name is Martin, which I think is really funny that they named Steve Martin's character's father, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that was played, he was played by George Petrie, who lived from 1912 to 1997. He passed away at the age of 85. Once again, also from a form of cancer. Mm. He had 126 TV credits, including 10 episodes on Mad About You, which wow. which I remember I, when I was doing the research for this, I, I recalled who he was. He played uh, one of Paul Reiser's uh, editors that they would sit in and edit together and they'd have these conversations. And I was really surprised that he was in 52 episodes of Dallas. <laughs> so, yeah. And then he had 17 uh, movie credits during his career. And then the, the final the final link of this uh, uh, quadruplet of, of parents is uh, an actress named Carol Bruce, who plays Joy, which is Neil's uh, mother. She was born in 1919, passed away in 2007 at the age of 87. Uh, she didn't die of cancer. She had chronic... <laughs> Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Jeez. Yeah. So, yeah. And she had, she actually has the, the least prolific career of anyone of these four. She only has 29 TV credits and six movie credits. So, I mean, I, I liked being able to see them here, especially now after having read the script and see the more extensive parts that they have in the, in the story. So it was, it was nice to see them, them all pop up here. You know, and do you happen to know how much of that was actually shot? It was, I mean, obviously what they I were understand, hired based on here's the huge script and you've got a lot to do in it. Um, but at the end, they get one scene that it was cut down. They, from what I understand, they filmed everything. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They filmed again. They filmed the first cut was three hours and 45 minutes. That's after they made editing cuts the first time. So it means that they probably could have assembled a movie that was even longer. So somewhere there's a lot but of footage we're, we're, of this family uh, arriving at a house, doing all the cooking, getting dressed for dinner, <laughs> asking yeah. where Neil is repeatedly. <laughs> they, they, they have little conversations along the way. There's some phone conversations and stuff like that. Huh. All right. Well. Yeah. And then uh, as he's doing these introductions, we actually see a shot of his wife, Susan, upstairs because one of, I guess, Susan's mother calls for her to, to come down. And she has this complete look of shock on her face that, oh, he's finally home. <laughs> she got a very glamorous entrance into the scene. Yes. Well, no, first they show her upstairs. And then, you know, he's as Neil is doing the introductions, Dell is, you know, shaking hands with uh, with his father, father-in-law. With with the little kids also, and stuff like that. So it's 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 fun to see, 
you know, Dell with, with everyone. And then we see Neil look up and he looks up the, the stairs and sees his wife, Susan, standing on the, uh, on the stairs on her way down yes. with a, a nice smile on her a face. A very soft, glamorous light. And that's, we can talk about that tomorrow. I have some thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we have more. And we'll we'll see if you were able to figure out what's really going on. Who knows? So do you have anything else for this minute before we get into the script differences? No, I am, like I said, very grateful I got these minutes. Uh, it's, it's very, it's warm. It's what it should be at the end of this movie. It is redemption. Not that they needed redemption, but it's it's a nice coming together of the characters. And, I, think and they, I think they do need it. Uh, I think you're wrong. I think they do need it. You, well, then. <laughs> that, that, Again, it's a holiday movie. In this moment, I feel like in this minute, yes. they finally come together. All the craziness that they've been through and the hell they've put each other through kind of gets washed away in this nice, simple arriving at the house warmth of holiday. Yes. Okay, so now we're going to get into the script and you're going to see that it's there isn't as no much knows. warmth as you think. <laughs> okay, so it starts off, the, the scene is, is completely different here. There's a few of the lines that are similar, but there's it's almost entirely different what's in the script here. So it says, little Neil's crossing the foyer headed for the dining room. Sue stomps in from the living room and heads up the stairs. When are we going to eat? Never. Never? Never again? The grandfathers come into the foyer from the living room. Joy and Peg come in from the dining room. Seth stumbles up to Walt and grabs his pants leg. Marty peeks through the, through the grandpas. What's the fuss? Sue's a little upset. What's the problem? Because daddy's not here. I'll go have a word with her. Why don't you all go sit down? Joy starts for the stairs. The doorbell rings. Martin, who the heck's calling at this hour on Thanksgiving? Marty bursts through the grandpa's and charges to the door. She grabs at the knob with both hands and pulls it open. Daddy! Neil and Del Griffith are standing at the door, holding the trunk. Hi, sweetie! Peg leans up the stairs and calls to Sue. Susan, Neil's home. Neil and Del lug the trunk into the house and set it down. Neil closes the door. Did I miss the turkey? We're never eating again. That was little Neil again. What? What the hell happened to you fellas? Dad? This is Del Griffith. This is my dad, Walt Page. Now, I don't know if you noticed, what was what was his father's name in the movie? Martin. That's right. They switched them. Yeah, for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't figure out why, but they switched them. Del shakes Walt's hand. Neil introduces everybody to Del. Del shakes hands all around. My mother, Peg. Father-in-law, Harold. Mother-in-law, Joy. This little guy is Neil Jr. This is my little gem, Marty. And he picks up Seth. This is my baby boy, Seth. And then he kisses Seth. Can you say hi? And that's pretty much how that, that scene ends. So again, they changed around the names of the fathers. Peg is his mother. They switched it completely. I don't know why. Maybe they just figured that the actress was, you know, that, you know, Richard, Richard Hurd looked more like a wolf <laughs> than, a, than, than a Harold. I don't know. It does seem like in, in that it, that there's a little more chaos happening in the house and that Susan is upset at how long it's taken him to get home. I feel like in the movie, and again, we could talk about that tomorrow, so maybe I'll leave that thought till tomorrow. But but it's interesting that they focus a little more on the chaos of the family being there. It, it makes it more of a focus. It, the scene as it stands in the movie is the focus is on uh, Neil and Dell arriving the focus in the script seems to be on the chaos inside the house, which isn't relevant to the story that was told. Yes. So that that is a, a smart cut 
and I like the idea. I also like the idea that in the movie they seem to arrive early. Like they seem to be getting to the house fairly early on in the day, yeah. nine ten. <laughs> maybe the turkey's not yet done. No, 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 no. I think they're. they're it's a little well, later. Well, it's not um, after dark. I guess is what I. It sounds no. like in the script. No. It but, almost but you, sounds you, like it's after dark. Right. Well, it is dusk because when they walk down the street, you see that the lights are on and the lights are on in the house also. Maybe it's just because it, it was. It's you know it, it was a blizzard well, that it, day. I don't Chicago know. In in November, that could be three p.m. <laughs> Two or three p.m. Yeah, <laughs> but again, but not in nineteen eighty-seven. <laughs> On November 26, 1987, there was no snow in Chicago. No, but it starts to get dark right around that time. Yes. No, it gets dark. Uh, I, I think I figured out that I think it was around 4.45, something like that is, is sunset, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. So, normally, on an episode on Sunday, which we don't usually do, we don't have any of our top five. So, we're going to actually do the... Hughes Hunt Day segment today. So, Jeanette, Mm -hmm. uh, just so everyone knows, we do a top five movies by John Hughes, which we usually do on Wednesday, which is Hump Day. But I guess uh, we're gonna we're gonna call Sunday Hump Day this week. So, Jeanette, what are your top five John Hughes movies? Working your way from number five all the way back up to number one. Uh, number five, I started with um, one that he wrote, not one he directed. So I put Pretty in Pink at number five. Okay. Uh, and then from then on, the top four are all things he directed. No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. We, we, it we, doesn't matter. But not, I just we're not particulars particular to that. Uh, number four, I put Weird Science. Super fun, super entertaining. Uh, three sixteen candles. Like I said, I I tend to I was drawn a little more to his uh, high school ones based on the timing. Yeah. Um, the top two really you interchange depending on <laughs> the day and the mood. Um, the depending Breakfast on whether Club, you're in Shermer, Illinois, or if you're in Chicago. Right, yeah. right. Uh, the Breakfast Club is an exceptional movie, endlessly watchable. I love that movie. Um, Ferris Bueller Day Off, though, is is my all time favorite, and it is one where, I, and I think, really holds a stronger pull to anyone from this area in that who. Is my age. It was in high school at that time. Um, actually, I was. This might have been grade school for me. But but the idea, like we had multiple Ferris Bueller days off. Like it became a thing. Once I hit high school, you take a day off, go down to Chicago, go to the museums. It, it was a thing. So I love that movie. It, it's such an adventure, and it's so fun and lighthearted while still being like, hey, this kid really cut school. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I that that one is my favorite. I had two friends in high school that that would always make these trips. They, you know, they would go from district to they would go to Cleveland or they go to Toronto. And so they once went to Toronto, and one of them called up his parents from Toronto and said, "We went bowling." No, they didn't. The parents didn't know they went to Toronto, right? So he said, "I just bowled a uh, 130." You know, and he, he like called his parents with this like super duper lie in order to try to make it feel even more plausible that. <laughs> so, I feel like that's similar. Uh, Toronto is what four four hours past Detroit, maybe three. I think it, I think it was like a five hour drive, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I've driven from here to Toronto, and I think it was about ten. I know it's about six to get to Detroit from here, which I've done multiple times. I I went to school in Holland, Michigan. Oh, okay. So for us, it, it, we did it in in college too. Uh, came down to Chicago and had a couple of Ferris Bueller days. So yes, it is. It's a thing. It's a perfect okay, movie. Makes sense. 
no question about that. But, uh, you know, just fun, fun to think about. All right. So again, yes. because Jeanette is only going to be with us for, for two days this week. So once again, we're going to change things around a little bit and we're going to have her give us, give us her top five John Candy movies. So we're going to do weekend candy on Sunday, which still fits in because it's weekend candy, even though it's not, weekend, not Friday. Yeah. So why don't you give us your top five John Candy performances? This one's a little tougher for me, um, just because, again, he had a very specific skill set, and that's not something I'm a huge fan of, but there are several on the list that I enjoyed. So I put the Blues Brothers on there. It's a small, small role, but I put the Blues Brothers on number five, Splash, number four, Spaceballs, number three always entertaining that's one where inevitably it's on tv every weekend some random channel at some time and i will stop and watch a few minutes of it every time it's on i really enjoy spaceball uh cool runnings because listen that movie really (laughs) the reason the jamaican bobsled team gets funding is still that movie you know they were uh at the winter olympics this year finished i think if not last second to last but the reason they continue the legacy of Candy. the Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> it was, yeah, absolutely. Well, so I, I that movie is fun and, and love it. Uh, and then I, I put the Great Outdoors as number one. I saw that when I was younger. It was something I saw with my family, and and I still make obscure references to it in my family to this day. Um, so I, I definitely put that right. one up there. Excellent. Great. So now we will do the segment that we do every day. There's We have the Off the Beaten Track segment, which either myself or my guest will give a little adventure or misadventure that has happened to us over the journey of life. Uh, so Jeanette, you have a story for us? Yeah, I um, I have a lot of travel stories, but this is one in college i did a main term um so three weeks studying in london um i it was an art history tour so it was we get there and it was every day was a different art museum um like monday tuesday wednesday thursday and then the weekends were kind of ours to do with as we chose and one of the weekends a group of us headed up to scotland we were like well we'll just go up to scotland for the weekend no big deal because at this point we'd been in london for a couple of weeks and we figured we knew everything about everything we're like yeah we'll just take a train up to scotland no problem. So, you wow. know, eight-hour train trip <laughs> up to Scotland, made it up to Edinburgh, um, hung out there for a bit, and then took another train up to Inverness, which is um, a city right there at the edge of um, Loch Ness. And then from there went up to Aberdeen, which is kind of at the top. Loch Ness is, is very long and skinny, and I believe that Aberdeen is at the top of it. So very cold, very misty, definitely in the highlands of Scotland. Uh, my friend Even, even in May? Yes. Wow. Yeah. We were very into Highlander at the time. And so we we're like, obviously, we have to go to the Highlands. And so we got up there. Uh, but we didn't have a plan. And and the train trip being eight hours, longer than any of us expected, got there at night um, with no place to stay, no game plan, didn't know what we were doing, got off the train, standing around with all of our luggage for the weekend, like, all right, well, now what do we do? And for some reason, everyone looked to me, and I'm like, well, I don't know. Why am I suddenly in charge? Shouldn't someone else have thought of it? I was there with two or three, like I was a, I think a sophomore or a junior at the time, and there were upperclassmen there. I'm like, why didn't you guys plan for this? And so I had to come up with a solution. I pulled out a phone book because at the time, phone books were still a thing. Um, not to cell phones yet. None of us had mobile phones. So pulled out a phone book, flipped through it, went to bed and breakfasts, 
the first one I found called was like, I, I'm so sorry. We just got off a train. We need a place to stay. She was like, no, I'm all booked up. Called another one. No, I'm all booked up. No rooms. I'm like, God, this is, we're, we're going to be wandering around the streets of Aberdeen for the entire night. Um, the third one I called was like, no, we're booked, but try this guy. He lives up the street from me. Um, so I called this guy. He and his wife ran a small bed and breakfast. And I'm not going to try and do the Scottish accent, but by all means, imagine it here as thick as you can possibly be to the point where I had to ask him two to three times. I'm so sorry. I didn't catch that. Could you please repeat it? <laughs> he said, um, I said, there's there's four of us. Uh, if, me and my four, uh, we're all women. We're standing here on the side of the road. We don't know what to do. He was like, yeah, I got rooms. Um, where are you? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm at payphone. Because at this point, and you can't send him a GPS. No, you know, is, again. Um, no, I know. All I know of that. That. So this is kids. This is what traveling was like before cell phones existed. Um, <laughs> so I say, he goes, "Well, what what are you around?" I said, "I we're standing across from a church." <laughs> Which, if you've ever traveled in anywhere in Europe, that doesn't help anyone. There's a lot of churches. <laughs> so he said. Uh, describe the church and i said it's got you know it's tall and hey, it's got this big cross the key is on this may term being an art history uh st student could accurately describe the church in terms of the buttresses the windows and the uh, door and the architecture and he said i know exactly where you are stay there don't talk to anyone else i'm going to come get you this man got it wow and drove up this hill picked all four of us up put our luggage in his car drove us back to his bed and breakfast we got rooms for the night, and in the, he told us, all right, in the morning you come down, I'm making you guys breakfast. Had the best breakfast I've ever had, and this guy told us stories, just the best stories, in the thickest Scottish accent. Absolutely hilarious. Told us, he was like, yeah, where are you guys from? This saints. Well, you know, the Midwest, and, and he told us about a guy who had come from Texas who was loud and obnoxious, and he asked the guy where he was from. And the guy said, Texas, in the United States. And the guy said, so I said to him, oh, yeah, the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That is that is my first story. Um, nearly getting, that is a story. Nearly That's getting a lot lost of fun. in Scotland, but but successfully making it to a bed and breakfast and having a wonderful trip. Uh, so, yes, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, thank you very much for that. So, Jeanette, you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, of course. I'm I'm on all the socials. You can you can find me on all the social medias out there with the kids, except for the TikTok. Haven't wandered into that realm yet. I'm too old. Um, but you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, Jeanette Y Ward mostly. You can find my movie reviews over at the Mundane Adventures of a Fangirl, which is jwardadventures.blogspot.com. Um, and that's where you can find me. Excellent. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Facebook, or you can go to our website. So Jeanette, you want to come back in tomorrow and talk talk a little more about uh, Susan on the Stairs? Yes, I have thoughts about Susan on the Stairs. All right. <laughs> Great. So until tomorrow, you're fine. <laughs> uh, you are fine. <laughs>